Welcome to the Abundant Life Podcast. This is Pastor Derry. Proverbs 3 verses 9 through 10 tell us that we should honor God with both our possessions and our increase with an understanding that by honoring God, you release kingdom supply. But what does it mean to honor God with our possessions? In today's message, we begin introducing the principles of harvest and increase from our series titled The Journey. Listen in, take notes, and I'll talk with you at the end of the podcast. 3 John verse 2 says, Beloved, I would that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Amen. It means God wants you to prosper. But prosper has to be connected with a renewing of your mind. Because sometimes God sends prosperity and we ignore it because we don't realize what God's prosperity actually looks like. Amen. I was having a conversation with a man once, and he, uh, he had had several divorces. And after several divorces, he says to me, when we're just having a conversation, I'm not, I don't want it to sound like, I don't want it to sound wrong. What he said to me was his own personal observation. And his personal observation was the first wife was the best wife. <laughs> he had been married a couple of times. And after being married a couple of times, he realized his first wife had been the best wife. And I'm sharing that because sometimes we're in seasons of life where we allow what's wrong to blind us from what's right. Amen? It's like that in our life in general. Sometimes we get so stuck on what's wrong, we don't see what's right. And sometimes God has poured out blessings on our lives, but we're blind to the blessing because the thing that's wrong gets our attention. And it seems bigger than everything else. Amen? Now, I'm not telling you that if you had a divorce, go back to your first person. <laughs> Because A, that might not be true for you, <laughs> and B, they may not be available. <laughs> Amen. I told a man one time, he was, he was asking me, he said he was getting ready to break up with his, his uh, um, fiance. They had had a child together, and they were thinking about breaking up. He said, but you know, you know, he's talking to me. I said, listen, I said, you have a child with her. So I need you to think about this. When you guys split up, somebody's going to think she's pretty like you did. Because you used to think she was fine. And I remember listening to you tell me how fine she was. And now that you're going to break up, you need to remember somebody else is going to think she's beautiful as you thought she was. And that person's going to move in the house and they're going to be with your child. And then you're going to be mad and you're going to be upset. But you have to know that's going to happen. So sometimes we have to be willing to allow things to evolve when they look like they're rocky so that we can evolve to the place of peace. Because sometimes we're anxious to get things fixed, anxious to have the right, everything perfect right now. We want perfection and perfection doesn't exist. 
And so if we're waiting for perfection, sometimes we will miss out on what's good waiting for what's perfect. And there is no perfect, right? Amen. Amen. So I want you to open your Bibles uh, to the book of Proverbs 27, as we were talking last week. And when we're talking about prosperity and, and the fact that God has five dimensions of prosperity, he's trying to minister to our lives. But sometimes we're not taught these things because we're taught religion instead of the practices of the kingdom of God. And that's what actually Jesus came into life in a religious setting where the focus was on religion and religion had almost become bigger than God. The Pharisees were so steeped in their religion when Jesus comes on the scene that even when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, they resist him because religion has become so big and their practices have become so ingrained they couldn't see the, the, the great because they were blinded by the good. The law was a good thing. The law was great. The law showed them how to live. The law set them apart from everybody else. But their focus on the good made them miss the great. That Jesus comes into an environment and so much so does Jesus practice the kingdom of God and, and exhibit love to people, comes to heal those that are broken, comes to feed the hungry. He does all these things. And in 33 and a half years of life, this man who does all this good in one week goes from being Jesus, we love you, to crucify him. <laughs> but he started as a seed. He started as a baby. And we had all these beautiful kids that just did some things, and, and you know, some of them sang, some of them rang po read poetry. But you know what? We don't know what they're going to become. They're just kids. We don't know what they're going to become. And so when Jesus is born into the world, nobody knows what he's going to become. But the fact of the matter is, is that even if you don't know what something's going to become, you can shape it to become what you want it to be. Now, we're talking about prosperity, so I want to keep your mind focused on this. We know that we've been talking about how do we redefine prosperity so that we see prosperity the way God sees prosperity and not the way people see prosperity. Because sometimes people will make us look at a child who's destined for greatness and judge them because of where they stand or where they're born or what color they are or what language they speak. And we'll judge that individual not knowing that is a seed for something else that will become great if we allow it to become great. And sometimes even if we push ourselves against that seed, the seed is so strong sometimes it will defy the fact that you say it can't grow and it will grow anyway. Amen. And such are some of you. Some of you are seeds that grew even when people saying you couldn't grow. Some of you guys have gone and done things in life even when people said you couldn't do it. Even when people told you it's impossible, you're dumb, or you're this, or you're that, you this, whatever. You defied those things and became something greater. Amen. And if you haven't yet, you will soon. <laughs> Amen. If you haven't yet recognized that God is the one who gets to choose 
and not people. Whew, amen. Hallelujah. I'm waiting on something. I'm going to find it too. Praise God. Five areas of prosperity. Number one is your relationship with God. If you begin your prosperity with your relationship with God, then the first thing that will happen for your life is that you'll discover who you are. And when you discover who you are, you might find out that your life is set for greatness. The biggest struggle most people have is a struggle of identity. Because when you don't know who you are, you struggle with things. You struggle with things you don't need to struggle with. Because if you knew who you were, if you knew your identity, then you would not have to struggle the way that many people have to struggle. Praise the Lord. But then once you know who you are, then you start realizing that God has put something in your life. And when you understand that God has put something in your life, then you start to recognize God has put things in other people's lives as well. Not greater than, but different than. So my wife and I have different things in us, but I'm not greater than my wife. Amen? We're complementary. Amen? Because if someone thinks they're greater than the other, then they will look down on what was sent to compliment them. Amen? This is, a, this is a misconception when we talk about the man being the head. Sometimes we think that when we say the man being the head means the man is over. No, it means the man is responsible. Amen? The man is responsible. And that's what happened to Adam and Eve. It wasn't that Adam was greater than Eve. It was that Adam was responsible. And so when Eve said, eat this, he was responsible to make a good decision. <laughs> and because of his irresponsibility, everybody pays. Amen? Same thing, you get a household, you get a husband and a wife. Husband is not greater than a wife. Husband's responsible. Amen. That's why the world fights against men to keep men in irresponsibility. Because if men are irresponsible, the house falls. Amen. So we have to understand that when God calls us to prosper, he calls men and women Ish and Isha, male and female, both to prosper and to recognize there's a blessing in each other. That our partnership starts to create a greater rather than lesser. But that requires two to become one. But if two don't become one, then you got two at war against each other. Amen. So the becoming one process is a battle because it requires me as a man and her as a woman to keep yielding to each other and eliminate any kind of inequity. And when we balance it, then we become one and we walk together. And two are better than one. And a threefold cord cannot be easily broken. 
So if two can become one and then God wraps us together, then we become a threefold cord that cannot be broken because we become stronger. You take two pieces of paper and you wrap them together and you try to pull them, they might tear. You take a third piece of paper and all of a sudden it got stronger. Why? Because the density of the three together strengthens the whole and makes it stronger. Amen. That's why when you look at a rope, you look at a rope and you just see one rope. But the rope is many, many strings stranded together to make it strong. And it gets so strong that you can might take five of those strands and break them, but you can't take that whole rope and break it because their unity together makes them strong. So when you understand that the people in your life, God has put oikos, people supernaturally around your life. If you can learn how to band together and be strengthened by those people together, then you become unbreakable. <laughs> Amen. That's prosperity to me. Amen. I need some people around me that we can weave together and we can be together become unbreakable. Amen. And how do we become? When we start realizing we're going in the same direction. We're pulling together. We're strengthening each other. There's strength in numbers. But not just the strength in numbers being around. There's strength in numbers being unified and moving together. And when we unify and we move together, then we find strength and we prosper as a result. Amen. So the second level of your prosperity is your connection and your building together with other people. That's why church is important. Because church becomes a group of people who are pulling the same direction and they unify and they strengthen each other so that we move forward together. Amen. Tell your neighbor, say, I'm glad you're here because you strengthened me. Amen. The third area is gifts and talents. You are gifted without measure. You got so many gifts, you can't count them all. But the system that you live in tells you that your gifts aren't valuable. Amen. The system we live in doesn't encourage our gifts. It tells us that you got one possible moment. You got one moment. You got to grab your 15 seconds of fame. And so we start reaching out, not realizing it's not our gift and us being important, it's how our gift benefits others that makes us important. You can't say, I'm a gift, I'm gifted. So what? How's that benefit in my life? Amen. But if you're gifted and you bless me with your gifts, and all of a sudden I say, Wow, that's a gifted person. Amen. That's why the word says that a man's gift will make room. Amen. Why? Because a gift has to be presented to others. And when your gift is presented to others, it makes space for you. Amen. I have a friend who's a, who's a, a, a baker. And so I always got room for them. <laughs> I can still button it, so I'm all right. <laughs> Amen. Why? That gift makes room. If I look at my peephole and I see somebody holding a box, and if it's a pink box, <laughs> yeah, I, I got room. I will open the door for you. <laughs> Amen. It's a bad thing when your neighbor owns a donut shop. 
it ain't, it, ain't, it ain't a good thing for you when your neighbor owns a donut shop. But your gifts make room for you. There's some people who bake every day and don't think, it, don't think of it as a gift. Somebody else is a baker and they're open to bakery. There's some people who are gifted in different ways and, and we don't always recognize the value our gifts have because we sometimes equate the value of our gifts by what the market says it's worth. And sometimes when that market sets the price, you start looking at yourself and that's your value. But it's not. Your value is not what you get paid. Your value is set by God. Amen? But everybody's gifted. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are so gifted that you don't even know how gifted you are. Gifts create prosperity. Because when you learn how to use your gifts, you will learn how to prosper. The more you learn how to use your gifts, the more doors are open for you to prosper. And nobody, nobody can hold you down when you know your gifts. People hold you down when you don't realize what you have. <laughs> my wife, when my wife used to teach, she, came, she uh, found this book. It was, talk, it was talking about great inventions of African Americans. And all these inventions were inventions not always of creativity. Sometimes they were gifts uh, of necessity. <laughs> hey, I created a golf tee so I don't have to hold this ball while you swing this. <laughs> Y'all think I'm joking. That's one of the inventions that was in there, the golf tee. <laughs> anyway, let me keep on moving here. Sometimes, when we're under pressure, we can become creative in different ways. And from that pressure, our gifts are released. And when those gifts are released, new things come out of those things. Because when you're comfortable, you have no motivation to be creative. The more comfortable you are, the less creative you become. That's why right now, in music, the biggest thing in music right now is not new music. The biggest thing in music right now is sampling because everybody's comfortable. Because I can reach off the shelf and pick up your beats and I can play your beats to my stuff. But when people, the reason jazz and blues came through and began to blossom into other things was because people were under pressure and their songs started coming out of their hearts. I saw the story of Marvin Sapp. Marvin Sapp said, my songs that, came, that I began singing, my gospel songs, they came out of pain and pressure. He said, I told God, he said, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to stop writing songs. <laughs> no, no more pain, no more pressure. Can I, can I get a break here, all right? But the stuff we go, yeah, never would have made it, yeah. So all that stuff that came out of those, those things, those gifts were released because pressure was put on them. And sometimes your greatest gift is going to be revealed when you're under your greatest pressures. 
because comfort does not create creativity. The fourth area is being made whole, being made well. That God is a healer. But we don't have to have God heal us the way people want us to be healed. God is a healer in that God equips us for a journey and strengthens us through no matter what to be able to accomplish what we need to do regardless of how our body feels or what our body's trying to say. So no matter what kind of pain or anything else you go through, you find that God builds you and sustains you with strength so that you can do what you call to do. Because I know people who have no aches and pains are, are miserable. And I know people who have aches and pains but feel fulfilled because through their pain, they're still able to do what they feel like God told them to do. So it's better to be healed on the inside than it is on the outside. Amen. Come on. But that's one of God's things. He wants us to be made whole and to be free. Because freedom is the other part of being made whole. It is one thing to be healed. It's another thing to be free on the inside. And that's one of the things that Christ came to do. He came to make us free. The word says, he whom the Son sets free, they will be free indeed. There's a freedom that can only be gained when we really know God. And when that freedom comes, that freedom actually liberates us in ways that we can't even explain. Because, see, there's, there's certain levels of freedom. And sometimes when people have been bound up for a long time and they taste a little bit of freedom, they think that's all the freedom it can be. But then you can progressively start getting freer and freer. You start realizing, man, I didn't even know this kind of freedom was available. (laughs) And so freedom is what we want to continually move toward, and God wants to continually make us free. And the fifth area, and the area that we've been talking about, is the area of supply, of kingdom supply. Having what we need when we need it. This is the area that sometimes people want to talk specifically about money. But we said money is only a medium of exchange. God doesn't bless people with money. Money is part of our system that we live under. And so money is gained by five. One of, money only changes hands one of five ways. One, you can inherit some money. Somebody had something, they gave it to you when they left the scene. Your inheritance. The second way is a gift. Somebody has something, they can choose to give it to you. The third way is a return on investment. You had some resources. You gave it to somebody else who had a business or had something else. They generated money. They brought it back to you. The fourth way is you can steal it. It's not yours. Somebody has it. I need it. I take it. I got it. And the fifth way is the work of our hands. It's what we put our hands to do that generates a resource or return. And so understanding that money only represents the work of someone's hands, when you understand that, then you start realizing, I have more blessing in my hands than there is money to give me. And that if it is the work of my hands, if I figure out how to make the work of my hands generate resource that I can then plug into other places and let it bring a return, then it will multiply my labors. My labors can be multiplied by me not allowing what comes into my hand to go out quickly, but to be put back to work so it works rather than me. 
Right? Where'd I have you guys go? Proverbs. Don't go there. Go to Hebrews 11. Let's do that instead. Hebrews 11. Now, I want to tie this together with you, your understanding here. What we're talking about today, if you want to give a, t- a title to the topic, is principles of harvest and increase. Principles of harvest and increase. So the first thing I want you to understand, when we're talking about prosperity, God prospering our lives, the first thing you have to do is put together all those understandings of what, what prosperity is and keep those in the context of faith toward God. If you try to do things self-sufficiently and you leave God out of the equation, you can do a lot of stuff, but you will run out of gas. And you will hit obstacles that you don't have to hit. And you will find problems that you didn't need to find. And there are things that will happen that should not happen to you because if God is with you, there are certain things God will shield you from. But it begins with Hebrews 11, verse 1. That says, now faith is the substance of things you hope for, and it is the evidence of things that are not seen. So number one is a faith toward God that sees with a spiritual eye what cannot be seen with a a natural eye. How does somebody build something nobody's ever seen before? They got to see it inside. Yes. God created man three ways. He created a physical body that holds a soul which is activated by a spirit. Your soul is your reasoning faculty. It is made up of five things. It is made up of your thoughts, your emotions, your feelings. Then it also contains your will and your imagination. And your imagination is designed for you to use for God's purpose. But unfortunately, when we're not connected to God, we just use it for whatever purpose. And we come up with crazy stuff. But your imagination was designed for you to think about things that do not exist outside of it conceptualize it and use it in order to create and that's what we do but if we don't bring our imagination under subjection then we miss out on the blessing of using it the way God intended for us to use it so I want everybody right now to think about something anything whatever you think about right now more likely than not it is something that already exists Because when you just thought about something, you activated your mind, your conscious mind. Your conscious mind, think about something, tried to grab something that it's familiar with. But if I ask you to use your imagination, your imagination will then start to think about what could be. And it might look at that speaker and say, I want you to use your imagination and think about what else we could use that speaker for. Your mind will start to immediately start to start to think about what could it use be yours? What could it, it will start asking yourself questions. And if you stare at it long enough, it will show you something else to do.
See, sometimes we're looking around our own environments and see our limitations, but sometimes you need to just stare at something in your house long enough and it'll tell you what else it can be used for. See, when it comes to prospering, you can prosper what, what is or you can prosper by faith, which means sometimes you prosper by what is not yet. I'm all right. I'll keep working with y'all. Here we go. Verse 2. For by it, by faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. In other words, by faith, people get granted a good testimony. You know why? Because they had faith when other people couldn't see it. Amen. <laughs> they had faith when other people could not see things. Amen. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Things are made first by what's invisible. Anybody who's ever, cre anybody who's ever done anything had to be able to do it here before they could do it here. All of you who've had a job before, the reason you got the job is because you saw yourself being able to get the job before you got the job. Because you didn't take the time or effort to go fill out the application if you didn't believe that you could possibly get the job. So faith made you take steps of things that did not exist. And that's what you do all the time. Everything you do, when you're hungry, by faith, you go to the refrigerator. You do everything you do in your life by faith. Faith is what your confidence is to take steps of things that do not exist. Now, sometimes you have a visible thing on the other side that you can walk to and get. But it still requires a faith to go after it. Faith is the substance of things you hope for. It is the evidence of things that are not seen. And when it comes to prospering, your foundation has to be in faith because if it's not, you won't take steps to do anything. Let's bring up the very first, the title slide. Faith is the foundation of everything. And I don't know if you've been looking for the last 38 weeks, but the word faith is written as a journey on that slide. It is the steps that you take. It is the path that you walk, that you have to walk by faith every day with five understandings. Number one, I'm walking by faith, believing that God is with me. Number two, I'm walking by faith every day, believing that God is going to give me favor with the right people around me to do what I need to do today. Number three, I'm walking by faith believing I got the gifts and the abilities to do whatever is set before me today. There is nothing I will encounter that I can't handle because I'm gifted. Number four, I'm going to walk today because I'm alive, I'm strong, I got enough strength in my body to do whatever I need to do today. And number five, I am walking by faith believing that whatever I need to do, I have the right resources here, around me, somewhere in this room. It's what I need to get things done. And I walk every day by faith. 
So in my walk by faith, I have to silence the voices that tell me I don't have enough. Every day by faith, I have to silence the voices that tell my body tries to tell me you're not strong enough today. Every day I have to say by faith, I know the right people. I know what I need. And every day I have to say, thank you, Father, that you're with me. Every day my daily walk by faith has to do those things so that whatever challenge comes to my life this day, I know God has already accounted for it and I'm going to overcome it. And it becomes an attitude and mindset that every believer has to build and strengthen in their lives in order to walk the journey and get where God's called you to be. Because the moment the enemy comes, he tries to make you doubt that you have what God asked you to do. That's been his trick from the start. It's his trick today. You don't have enough. And if you don't have enough, it means that you will have to do something God tells you not to do in order to get what you need. Amen. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Now, go to verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You can't do enough religious things to please God. You can't give away enough stuff to please God. You can't, you can't be nice to enough people to please God. The thing that pleases God is your faith. And not the phony faith that people talk about all the time. The phony faith people talk about is saying what I believe when I don't believe it. I'm talking about what you believe about God. And we want to get into the word and we want to start building our faith toward God and knowing what God says so that as we're strengthened in our hearts, we have a deeper level of belief for what God is asking of us and what God is showing us and what God is trying to usher us to. And when you start to understand the Bible, the way it is written, you start to understand that God has a very simple set of purposes for your life. And when you start maximizing those purposes, you start finding out that every other door in your life starts opening. So last week, let's go to uh, Proverbs 27. Let's go there, and I want to kind of bring you back to what we talked about last week because I want to make sure you are actually processing this. So in Proverbs chapter 3, we saw the passage that said, Honor the Lord with your possessions and the first fruit of your increase. So number one, we're supposed to honor God with what we have. Then we honor God with what we receive. And so honoring, sometimes this is used only in terms of people thinking about giving an offering. But I want to stretch your mind to not just think about an offering. Yes, an offering may be included in this, but that's not really the point. The point is, whatever you have, you should honor God with. Amen? How do you honor God? First thing you've got to do to honor God is acknowledge he's the owner. Our breath in our lungs belongs to God. The water we drink belongs to God. This, everything we're moving in, it all belongs to God. You got to start there. Honor God by saying, uh, you know what? I'm going to put the creator first because he's the creator and maker of all things. And by creativity, he is the owner. Now, others may have claimed stewardship of things in the earth, but that doesn't mean that they're the owner. God ultimately is the owner of all things. Amen. The second thing you got to do is you got to see everything the way God sees it. In other words, God gave me a wife. Praise God. Beautiful woman. 
But I got to see her the way God sees her. Because if I don't see her the way God sees her, then I won't be able to get the maximum from her or give the maximum to her. I got to see her the way God sees her. Moses is walking around, and I'm not comparing the two. Moses is walking around in the desert with a staff in his hand, a rod in his hand. And so when God, he tells, God tells him, listen, I want you to go to my people. Go to your people, and this is what I'm going to be with you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to pull them out of captivity. Moses says, what if I go and they don't believe me? He said, what's that in your hand? Moses said, it's a stick. <laughs> and then God had to show him it's not just a stick. The stick has got power in it. The stick has got something. You're looking at it and you just see a stick. I'm looking at it and I'm seeing the rod that's going to bring parting of the Red Seas. See, sometimes you look at him, oh, this is just my friend. This is my, this is my guy. This is my guy. Trey's my guy. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I'm just seeing him like that and I'm seeing this is a powerful man of God. This is a man that's gifted. This is a man that's talented. This man got some things to offer. So if I just see him as my guy, my guy, my guy, I may not be seeing for him for what his value is. You got to see the things around you the way God sees those things. And when you start seeing things around you the way God sees those things, you'll start realizing you have more around you than you think you do. Sometimes we feel like we're by ourselves or we're by alone. Oh, I don't have enough. How am I going to do this? Guess what? You've got what you need. You have what you need. It's in your environment because God always makes provision for what he. But if God sends something to you to bless you, because remember, God doesn't send money. Money's man's. Money, money is not God's. Money's man's system. So if God doesn't send money from heaven. That's why in, in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, it says, Given it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, show who? Men given to your bosom. Because men are the ones that give exchange. God doesn't send money down. <laughs> Amen. Anybody who's waiting on God to send money, raise your hand. <laughs> All right, good. Nobody's waiting on that. Amen. Listen, honoring God Acknowledge what God's given you. Two, see what you have the way God sees it. And number three, use what you have for God's purpose. If you start using what you have for God's purposes, I guarantee you it will increase. <laughs> I guarantee you it will multiply. Amen. Listen. So last week, I'm going to give this to you, and I want you to, if you didn't take this down last week or if you weren't here last week, write this down. Because the principles of acknowledging God, which is that first area, um, we want to make sure you write this down. Number one, uh, in Proverbs 27, are you there? If you're not there, get there real quick. Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27 says, we're going to look at verse 23. It says, be diligent to know the state of your flocks. We said last week, number one, being diligent to know the state of your flocks. You don't have flocks, but you have stuff. Be diligent to know what you have. You got to know what you have. Sometimes we don't know how much we have. And we're, we're complaining and we say, man, I don't have enough. But you have a lot of stuff. Amen. I don't have any clothes. Let me come in that closet. Come here. 
Amen. Be diligent. To be diligent means that you put consistent effort towards something, right? Be diligent to know the state of your flocks. You need to know what you have and attend to your herds. Means you need to not only know what you have, you need to take care of what you have. Amen. Amen. I got we we have a we have a we have a truck at home has got two hundred and what? Two hundred and sixty nine thousand miles on it. Amen. Because we done took care of it. Amen. It was a blessing to us. We got it. We've been driving that thing like nobody's business. Amen. Amen. And guess what? Whatever we got, whatever we have, we're going to take care of it. Because it's a biblical principle of taking care of what you have. Right? Take care of what you have. And it will last you. And guess what? Then you won't have to waste money on getting new stuff. Amen. I went many years without a car note because my stuff was taken care of. So that money I would have been giving to on a car note was actually going to pay my kids tuition. Woo! Come on. (laughs) Because why? Because we took care of something and multiplied the blessing. Amen. If you buy food and you overcook every day, every day, you overcook every day, guess what? You're going to use more food than the person who cooks what they need, which means you're going to spend more money than they will. And you might be praying for God to send you money when you just need to stop overcooking. (laughs) Reality, huh? Little things, amen? But that's being diligent and attending to. Now, applying diligence. I want to show you four passages that I want you to look at. Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4. You can just write these down and look up at the screen. You'll get the, you'll get the pattern real fast. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4 says, He who deals with a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes one uh-huh okay all right y'all have it written down proverbs 12 go there proverbs 12 and verse 24 and 25 verse 24 said there is one who scatters yet increases more and there is one who withholds more than is right but it leads to poverty Verse 25, the generous soul shall be made rich, and he who waters will also himself be watered. I'm sorry, that was Proverbs 11, but you can write that one down, 11, 24, and 25. All right. <laughs> that, actually, that passage in a different version, it says the, the, world, the world of the stingy keeps shrinking and shrinking, but the world of the generous keeps growing and growing. amen that was a good one to add in there wasn't what i was trying but it was a good one amen chapter 12 verse 24 anxiety of the heart causes the oh that's not the right one i want either where is it at yeah 24 the hand of the diligent will rule but the slothful will be put to forced labor why do we want to be diligent because you don't want to be put to forced labor amen I don't want forced labor. Amen? Come on. 
Now, chapter 13, verse 4. Chapter 13, verse 4 says, The soul of a sluggard desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be what? May rich. Are y'all with me this morning? Proverbs 21, verse 5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to what? Plenty. But those of everyone who is hasty will surely to poverty. So in other words, diligence over time, no matter what you do, will make you prosper at something. So if you are trying to be diligent in studying your word, you'll prosper in knowing God. You'll become rich in your knowledge of God. If you start prospering or being diligent in your prayer life, being diligent in that, you'll find that your life will take on a new thing because you're going to become rich in your knowledge of God. If you become rich in taking care or diligent in taking care of your body, you'll find that your body will work more efficiently and you will be stronger in your body because of diligence. If you use your gift, a gift that you feel like you're not that great at, but if you start practicing that gift and you're diligent at practicing that gift, what will happen to the gift? It will increase and you will prosper. (laughs) Amen. Come on. So when you're trying to be diligent in knowing the condition of your flocks and attending to your herds, it means take care of stuff with diligence so that it continues to prosper. What happens in church many times is we move from message to message. Every Sunday, new message. Every Sunday, new message. And we never become diligent about what we learned last week. We don't become diligent about what we learned last week. And so we go, so after a whole year, we had 52 messages and we, don't, we haven't made any progress. That's why the Lord told me, slow down. That's why you got a 38-week series. Because the Lord says, slow down. And let everybody meditate on this. And uh, <laughs> Janae told me one day, she said, Pastor, I see what you're doing. <laughs> you said the same thing. You just moved it around. I said, yes, because I want everybody to get it. I want to get it. We want to get it. We want it's better. It's better to get it and use it and prosper from it than to have fresh stuff every day that's not benefiting us. Amen. Amen. A guy told me, a guy to our previous church, a guy said, he said, Pastor, he said, I've been taking classes and going to church on Sunday. He said, how do you keep up with that stuff? I said, I'm trying to keep up with all that stuff. <laughs> I said, man, I'm, where I'm reading this. <laughs> I'm studying this. Amen. Because if you stare at it long enough, <laughs> your imagination will start talking to you. Amen. So if you meditate on the word long enough, your mind, your imagination, which God put in you, will start talking to you and tell you how to do new things. That's why the book of Joshua says, meditate on the law. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Because what you focus on will open itself up to you. 
George Washington Carver said this. He said, he asked God, God, reveal to me the mysteries of the world. God said, I can't show it to you. You can't handle it. He said, but I'll show you how this peanut works. And he said, after that, he would walk out into the woods, and he said he would just go sit. He said, and then the plants would start talking to him. He said he would start hearing the plants. Now, how does that happen? Plants don't have mouths. How are they speaking to him? See, whatever you slow down on and whatever you meditate on, you'll get wisdom about it. You'll get wisdom about it. And if you begin to say, Lord, thank you for prospering my way. Thank you for giving me understanding. And you begin to diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord. Diligently listen to God's voice. You'll start hearing God's voice in ways you never heard him before. See, it wasn't for me personally. God didn't really start talking to me until I slowed down and shut other things out of my ears for a minute. When I slowed down and shut everything else out, I started hearing God's voice. I started hearing God speak to me. And people would say, you really heard God? I'm going to say, yeah, I did. <laughs> but it's because I slowed down and I got to focus on God. And when I focused on God, he started showing me great and mighty things which I didn't know. Things I never knew, God started revealing to me. And then he started showing me things, how to do my work different. I would go to work and God would show me how to do my work different. And I would start doing my work different and all of a sudden my gifts would kick in and my gifts started making room for me in new ways. And so all of a sudden then people would see me and want me to come work over here or work over there. And God started doing many things because of the diligence. Amen? Now, Real quickly, because I have to close here in a second. Principles of understanding how to honor God with what you have is one level. But there's a whole nother level of honoring God with increase and understand the principles that lead to and create increase. And I can't give you much of these, and we're going we're gonna to finish the series next week. But I want you to give you, I want to give you two things that you have to get about increase, understanding increase. So we talked about the fact that God has everything and all the stuff that we have in our lives is here. We have all access to so much stuff. We have access to gifts. We have access to people. We have access to, if you're here, that means your body's well enough to get here. Amen? And it doesn't make a difference how old we are. We got here, Amen? Amen. That means you're well enough to do some things. It means God's with you. So you got five things immediately. You got wellness enough to get around. You got resources that got you here. You got gifts and talents. You got people around you. And you got God. You already got, you got, you got five things immediately. Amen. So now that's what we have. But what we have always is considered to be seeds. Everything you have is considered to be a seed. In other words, whatever you have has potential to become more. Amen. No matter what it is, whatever you have, it has potential to become more. 
I was talking to these young men one day, and they were, they were, uh, um, they were working in this place, and I went in, and I was talking to them, and they were just telling me about some things. They were telling about ideas they had, and ideas, they got these ideas, and they were like, you know, as soon as we get this, we're going to do this. As soon as we get, they had all these, we gonna, as soon as, then we will, right? So that was, that was what it was. As soon as, then we will. And I said, well, did you guys ever think about this? And I pointed out something that they had. And they stopped and they were, no, we hadn't thought about that. I said, well, why don't you activate that to get you what you need to do that? Because from what you have, you'll create what you need to get what you want. And they were like, I said, yeah, that's how it works. So me and my wife, I told them, I said, when me and my wife, we got married, we wanted to buy a house. And so we were looking around at houses. And so we found a house to get the next house. Amen? Because a single asset will produce to help you get another asset. Right? It's going to It's going to increase. So if you understand principles of increase, then you can take what you have to move toward what you believe you should get. Or what God has told you, you will have. Amen. See, see what I want you to get in this principle, and I, I can't get you, I, won't, I don't have time. I'm just going to get this across to you. I just want everybody to understand. We live in a world that preaches to us, and I do mean preaches, and the word preach means to proclaim. We live in a world that proclaims shortage and scarcity. That's what the world proclaims, that there is always shortage and scarcity. That's what the world keeps us in the mindset of. And even as Christians, it gets into our heads that shortage and scarcity are what rule in our world. In America, America is designed to have tears of people because that's what it came from. See, see, the, the British and the rest of Europe were under a class-filled system in which you had poor people, and that's just how it is. And then you had what the French called the bourgeoisie, where y'all get bougie from. <laughs> the middle class. Y'all didn't know that's where it came from. Huh? It's the bourgeoisie, the middle class. And then they had the rich. And the rich was usually the royal. But that system left Europe and came to America. And the Americans said, we don't want that system. We don't want that. All men are created equal. Until people started making money. <laughs> and then the system went right back. Because that's what humans do. So in order for there to be poor people, there has to be a shortage of supply. <laughs> Come on, I hope y'all listen. In order for there to be poor people, there has to be a shortage
Because the system is designed that way. It's designed for certain people to feel pinched and feel like there's not enough and everything's too expensive. We can't afford. Because why? That's what the system is designed to do. But then God comes into our life and says, listen, I will supply for all your need according to my riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He said, I'm putting you in a new system. I'm going to break this poverty system, and I'm going to give you tools to be able to overcome poverty. But here's the reality. When the disciples got all bent out of shape because the woman poured oil on Jesus' feet, they said, don't you know that could have been spent to feed the poor? And Jesus said, the poor are going to be with you always. Jesus, there's always going to be poverty in this world because this world is designed that way. (laughs) Amen. So what do we do about it? What we do about it is we got to get to our mindset about getting ourselves functioning in God's way so that we can, through our diligence of applying God's principles, come out of and guess what I know poor people who have high salaries because poverty is not how much money you make poverty is the mentality that you're carrying around that shortage mentality that gets carried around that doesn't mean you become wasteful it means that we have some mindsets to break some ways of thinking to break out of. Because when we break out of those ways of thinking, then we will be free to use our gifts and talents without worrying about how we're going to get money. There are many gifted people who won't do what they're gifted in because they're worried about whether they have enough money. So they don't use their gifts that would actually make room for them. I hope you understand what I'm saying because I've been one of them. I've been one of them who was doing stuff I had to do, trying to make money, not recognizing I have gifts already that will, if I release my gifts, they'll make room and it will provide for what I need. Amen. And I'm not talking about if you're in a crisis situation and you just need to get somewhere. Yes, if you're in a crisis, you're not working, you just need a job, take the first job that comes. But what if another job comes? Then leave that job and go to the next job. Amen? But just don't, don't just not get a job. Amen? Get a job. Plug in somewhere. Because if you plug in, you can use what you have. And your gifts will what? Make room. Amen? Come on. Increase. And I'm going to give you this one principle. In order to increase, you have to become a sower. What you can have cannot reproduce until something is sown. You have to become a sower. Luke 6 and 38 says, Give and it will be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. The giver is a sower. And it's not just money. It's what you give. Do you give your gifts and your talents? When you go to work somewhere, do you give yourself to the job? Or do you just give them what they want? Amen. I used to just give them what they wanted. And then I realized I was holding myself down. 
Sometimes we get mad at our boss, and I'm not doing. I'm, this is all I'm giving. We get mad at the boss, and we go. We say, "This is all he's getting from me." It's not hurting him; it's hurting me. Because I'm not. Amen. I'm withholding my own seeds. And if you don't sow, you don't have a harvest coming. Amen. I got to leave it there. Amen. Listen, take today, meditate. Last time I told you to meditate on what you have, right? Today, I want you to meditate on what you have that can increase. What do you have that you can sow? What do you have that you can start pouring out? Because we're going into next year pouring out. We're going to walk into next year already setting ourselves up for future harvests because we're going to start pouring out things. And remember, you can't pour apple seeds and orange seeds and, and pomegranate seeds all in the same hole. <laughs> Pick one seed and sow that seed. Amen. Don't put all the same, same, oh, different seeds in the same hole because it is not going to work. Because only one of them is going to grow. And then you wasted seeds. Amen? All right. So I'll talk about more of that next time. Let's go. Let's, uh, have everybody stand on your feet real quickly here. Thank you for listening to today's message titled Principles of Harvest and Increase from the Kingdom Supply segment of our series titled The Journey. For more information about Abundant Life Worship Center, we want you to feel free to check out our website at AbundantLifeWorship.net. On our site, you're going to find more information about us, our church, and our events calendar, and other messages that may be of interest to you. On our media page, you can catch our live stream worship service, which is broadcast every Sunday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. Once again, the site is AbundantLifeWorship.net. If you'd like to join us for a live service, click on the About Us tab and get information on service times and directions. You can also find us on our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash AbundantLifeWorship.net. God bless. We look forward to seeing you on our next podcast. And until then, remember that Jesus came to give you life and that more abundantly.